This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. I think it would be appropriate today to start today with some dad jokes. Don't cheer for that. You haven't heard them yet. Uh, uh, I, I was saying dad jokes before I was a dad. Back then we just called it corny, <laughs> but um, we're going to call them dad jokes today. So you can boo these if you want. You can steal these if you want. Uh, you can cheer these <laughs> if you want, but I think it would be appropriate to start with some dad jokes. Are you ready? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be life-changing. All right. Why did the stadium get hot after the game? Because all the fans left. <laughs> Don't cheer for that. Did you hear the rumor about the butter? Never mind. I better not spread it. <clears throat> what did the sea say to the shore? Nothing. Just waved. There's some dads back there writing these down right now. What do you call someone who doesn't pass gas in public? Private tutor. We can't end on that note. We can't. Some of you are like, I thought this was a church. Is this yuck yucks? No, because they're not funny. Okay. Um, last one. Last one. <clears throat> Before we get serious. What do you call a pony with a sore throat? <clears throat> a little horse. <laughs> horse. I think I hear Brad laughing. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 30. Let's move on to something more important. <clears throat> First Samuel chapter 30. If you have your Bible today, First Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 today for the next few minutes. I want to encourage all of us in the room. I believe you can take something from the Word of God no matter who you are today. If you're a mom, if you're a teenager, if you're a grandparent, if you're a, fa- if you're a man, if, if you're a father... I believe if men, if we can be the bride of Christ, come on, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Men, if we can be the bride of Christ, women, you can take something from a Father's Day message today. There's always something you take from God's word, amen? First Samuel chapter 30, I'm going to read eight verses, very, very uh, intense story about David and his mighty men. To give a little history, David was uh, king. Um, David, before he was king, was exiled. He took off because he was persecuted by his leadership and said, I'm out of here, and he went to this cave and hid. And in this cave, as a man that was called to be king but was not yet walking in kingship, not yet walking in position but still had the influence, he found all these men, and they were bankrupt criminals and losers and depressed and just the lowest of the low, hiding in caves. And over time, David turned these men, without a position but with influence, turned them into not desperate, not desolate, not poor or bankrupt thieves, but history now remembers them as David's mighty men. There's books of the Bible dedicated to them of their historic exploits of killing giants and winning wars and defending uh, those that were defenseless. And these men that were broken and beaten and down with the right leadership and the right influence became heroes. In this story, David and his mighty men are in a fighting season. They're in a season where they're fighting and they're, they're attacking villages and towns that are enemies of theirs. They are protecting their families. They're protecting their nation. They are taking ground. And we pick it up here in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, starting in verse 1. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, 
They found that the Amalekites had made a raid into Negev and Ziglag and had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinam and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abhar the priest, bring me the Ephrod and Eberah brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You shall surely recover everything that was taken from you. Let me read the last verse, verse 8, if we have it in the NIV version, which it says it differently, which I really like. It says, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party. Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Today, for the next few minutes, if you're taking notes, write down this title, Hot Pursuit. Write that down somewhere, Hot Pursuit. Anybody have a favorite TV show growing up? Anybody just have a favorite TV show? Okay, none of you watch TV. You're all doing push-ups and praying, apparently. Anybody have a favorite TV show you watched growing up? Now, if you're my generation, you're, if you're over 35, you remember when you couldn't pause TV. Remember those days? Remember when you couldn't record TV, unless you had like a VHS or a beta machine, but there was not this pausing it. Like back then, kids, we couldn't stream stuff or on demand. Like you built your life around your favorite TV show. Anybody remember those days? Anybody? Come on, help me today. Anybody? Remember those days when, like, like, you had to be home to watch that TV show? There was no catching it later. It was, there was one chance. Remember TGIF? Remember, thank goodness it's Friday. Remember Friday night TV? Like, Steve Urkel, did I do that? Remember those? Remember, remember those shows? I remember, remember, uh, remember Full House? Like the first time around, not Fuller House, the first time around. Have Uncle Jesse, I, I channel Uncle Jesse some days. I'm not even going to lie to you. I just, I, I just pray, Lord, for his hair. Come on, have mercy, somebody. Like full, remember, remember Growing Pains? Anybody remember Growing Pains? Family Tives? Remember, anybody remember those shows? Remember, I remember it would come on. I, I have to be home. Doesn't matter what, I need to be home to watch MacGyver. I need to be home. I got to be home at five, five, um, Friday at 8 o'clock. If you're watching TV, like nothing else, you had to be home to watch certain TV shows. My favorite show of all time, and if you know it, you'll see it on the screen behind me, was this one called Dukes of Hazard. Anybody remember Dukes of Hazard? Any red-blooded male in Canada, this was your favorite TV show. This was your show. If you, if you don't know this show, this show is about two cousins named Bo and Luke Duke. I had a poster of Bo and Luke Duke. So I was a church kid. Non-church kids had Daisy. I don't get time to explain that. But I had <laughs> Bo and Luke Duke. See, see, you played on like you didn't know what I was talking about. You know all about Dukes of Hazzard. I don't watch TV. No, I'm holy. No, we know. I said one word, Daisy, and you're all involved. Okay, I know how it is today. I had Bo and Luke Duke uh, next to the General Lee. The, the, is that a Charger, Kenny? A Challenger? What is that? Charger. 
And uh, I remember them, and their eyes would follow me in my room. It was a little creepy, to be honest. Wherever I went in my room, their eyes would follow me on the poster. And I remember this was the best TV show. If you never know this TV show, maybe you can YouTube it if you're of the younger generation. But these two cousins, and they were good old boys in, in the South, and they were just trying to help people. But they were living on the verge of breaking all the laws, but they were like a Robin Hood. They were trying to just help the poor people, help people that just couldn't help themselves. And the whole show was built around a chance to chase cars. And they would just try to throw in plot lines and, and problems, but there was these, these cops that were, that were kind of shady, but you still really, really liked them. And then these, these bad guys that were bad, but you still really liked them. And the whole show was built around going around the same grass field every episode, and then these impossible jumps over trains, over cows, over, over rivers. And there was this one a deputy named Roscoe, and he had this favorite line and he was just this fumbling, he was a goof, doofus kind of guy. And whenever the Duke boys would go by, and they'd always go in circles and spin their tires, and they'd always make even gravel squeal, which I always, I always questioned that. And they'd squeal off, and they had this crazy horn, and then Roscoe would be caught with like a donut or coffee or, or a boss hog's dog, and he'd be just, oh, and he'd go, I'm in hot pursuit. He'd be on the radio, I'm after the Duke boys, I'm in hot pursuit. Today, I want to talk to you the next few minutes about being in hot pursuit. I've realized in my life that seasons are always defined by different things that I'm pursuing. I remember when I was younger, when I was a kid, tag was the game. Remember tag? My kids still play tag. They play last smack. But I remember tag was, you could entertain yourself. We never had Nintendo or Xbox or iPod. We just touched each other. That sounded wrong. Touched each other and ran. We played tag. That was our game. Just play, play tag. We just play tag. We just play tag. You're it, and you just run for your life. And then someone else was it. And then there was freeze tag. And then there was TV tag. And there was all these versions of tag. And we chase each other. I'll never forget the day tag died in my life. It was in grade six. I was in Sackville at a school called Sackville Centennial. At this point, the girls would chase the guys. The guys would chase the girls. And the girls were chasing us. And one day, all my buddies stopped running away from the girls. They wanted to get caught by the girls. And all of a sudden, the guys that were fastest were getting caught the quickest, and all of a sudden, they're in jail, surrounded by six or seven girls, and you couldn't free them. And I thought, I thought Donnie was faster than that. Hmm, he gets caught every game. And then one day, I got caught, and I realized why they were getting caught. I was surrounded by six or seven girls, and they smelled like cherry chapstick, and it was heaven. For a grade six boy, I remember thinking, I like jail. <laughs> cherry chapstick ruined the game of tag for my life. I remember, like, I don't mind being, and no, nobody stopped running, so the pursuit ended. Different seasons of life are around pursuits, and I remember being a teenager, about getting your license, and that freedom of just, I can get in a car and drive somewhere on my own without mom or dad. I remember taking the bus to go see a movie with my buddies. I remember my parents dropping me. I remember going to the beach with my mom. I think my mom's here today. Like, that, that was a scarring moment uh, when you're 15, to go to the beach with your parents, for her and for us, and I remember at 16, all of a sudden you had these dreams like, we can go anywhere. Now, all that meant was you'd drive to Sackville, you'd drive into Bedford and get a slushie and drive back. That's all you did when you lived in Sackville. But we had these dreams in our pursuit of earning money to pay for gas money, to pay for insurance, maybe to buy your own car. And in Sackville, that meant a Civic or a Chevette. That's what you bought in Sackville. As you get in your late teens and early 20s, you're thinking about chasing and pursuing education and and even serious relationships. And then in you know, your 20s and 30s, about careers and chasing equity and stability and families. And I realized in life that a lot of things, seasons are defined by what you pursue. First Samuel really is a story today that I, I think speaks to the leader in us. 
whether you're a, a man or a woman or a mother or a father or a child or a teenager or single, whatever, I think it speaks to the leader in us, but I really want to dedicate it to the fathers of this house on this Father's Day, 2018, to challenge you, to encourage you, to provoke you, and to cheer you on. I want to dedicate this to us. 1 Samuel is a 30, uh, really is a picture of our day. If you get a picture of this story, David and his mighty men were out conquering. They were out taking ground. They were out uh, expanding their influence, and they were attacking and building, and they were being aggressive with their careers. And the story says one day they were coming home. If you do the math, and I did the research, they had traveled about 50 miles. That's a long time. That's a lot, that's a lot of walking. And at 50 miles, they started coming home. At this point, they had done it enough. They knew when they get to a certain hill at a certain part in the road, they'd start saying goodbye to each other because they were just over the crest of coming home. They had fought together, bled together, and even lost some of their, their army, their team. And now they're on the home stretch after 50 miles of walking. And now they're thinking about a home-cooked meal. They're thinking about seeing their wife and their kids. They're thinking about uh, sitting in their favorite chair. And as they get to the crest of the hill and they round the turn, they're getting ready to say their goodbyes. Like, all right, Jim, we'll see you next week. Man, we'll go do some more pillaging next week. Good to see you, man. That was a great fight. And man, it's so good to see you. As they're getting ready to say goodbye, they walk around this turn and they notice something that shouldn't be there. They see smoke on the horizon. And one by one, they, as they start putting their eyes towards the horizon, they come around the corner. Now there is smoke, and without saying a word, everybody knew what that meant. There was no goodbyes. It was every man for himself. And even though they had walked 50 miles, though they had fought in battles for days, at that moment, each man, with fear and anger, started running for his own home. The Bible says they came over the crest of the hill, they came into their town, and their town was on fire. Buildings were demolished. They started kicking open doors of burning houses. You can imagine the emotion in that moment. As they kicked open doors and started going through buildings and, demo and demolished rubble and fire, they quickly realized there was no kids and their wives weren't there. They weren't killed. They were taken away. The emotion in that moment, the, 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 the tension in that moment, I've lear learned this. I don't care how peaceful the guy is. You want to you see how, how aggressive and angry a man can get? Mess with his kids and his wife. Is Matt Pazant here today? He's doing push. Where's Matt at? Matt, are you here? Wave at me if you're here. Is Matt, Matt is the nicest guy in the world. He's Guy Smiley off Sesame Street. If you're a church lover, he's more like Joel Olstein. That's kind of the nickname we have for him. He's, just, he's the smiley, happy guy. Matt is the nicest guy in the world. But if you mess with his kids, he'll shank you. I just know he will. He'll kill you with kindness first. As he's hitting you, my, you have such soft skin. You know, like, that's Matt. But I, I think Matt would just welcome you. Really good to see you. But if you mess with his family, he'd take you back, and he would stab you, and then nicely pack you into a box and ship you down the river. That's what Matt would do. And he'd do it smiling, and he'd send flowers to your loved ones. But he would, listen, don't mess with a man's family. I don't care who it is. Phil Zink, who plays bass, he is, like, the nicest guy in the world. But if you mess with his daughters or his grandchild, he will kill you with a smile on his face and then play bass at your funeral. That's what he will do. I don't care how nice you are. You mess with someone's kids. And I, I said this before, I love everybody, but don't mess with my kids. Seriously, don't touch my kids. Don't, just don't, why? Because there's something about that protective. In this story, you have these men now dealing with the loss of their families. Verse 3, it says they lost everything, their wives and their kids. I want to encourage you men and, and leaders in this room, that always speaks to the future. The enemy, we do have an enemy today, and some of you think, man, I just had a bad week. Just had a bad, been a bad month. 
I believe that there are choices and circumstances, but the Bible also says there is an enemy to our soul, that hell is real and the devil is real. And people go, I don't know if I believe in all this. The Bible, listen, God is good and the devil is real. And there's an enemy to our soul. It's more than just attitudes and emotions. It's more than just having a bad day. There are people, there's a force that wants to come against your family, against your holiness, against your faith. And it says here that the enemy of their soul took their wives and kids. Listen, it always speaks to the future. Kids always speak to the future. Kids always speak to a legacy. Isn't it interesting? The enemy always wants to attack us in our legacy and in our future. Some of you are wondering why you're having a hard time with your kids or maybe your marriage or maybe in your family situation because the enemy knows if he can take away your, your, your kids, if he can take away your family, it affects your future. You want to you wanna cut a man off at the legs. You really want to get to a man. You mess with his family. You can do whatever you want to me. I I remember growing up, my parents would say, if I'd hurt myself or broke my leg or something, oh, I wish it was me. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you wish it was you? As a parent now, I get it. I would take anything to keep my kids from dealing with things. In this moment, these men are dealing with the loss, not only of their kids and their wife, but really their future, their legacy. See, your, your, your legacy is not in your lifetime, it's in your lifeline. And these men realize with their kids and their wife gone, their future hangs in the balance. That's why grandparents are obsessed with their grandkids. Why? Because they see their legacy right in front of them. They see someone that will outlive them and their name and their passion and their talents and, and their, everything will go on through them. Why? Because there's something about legacy. The enemy is always after our legacy. Verse 4, it says these men started to cry. and In, in the NIV it says, until there was no more power to weep. Now, I've cried, and I've, and I've shed some tears, but there's been a few times in my life when I've been so upset, I actually can say I had no more power to weep. Have you been there? It's more than just crying just because it's a bad week or maybe you're stressed. There's been three times in my life where I found myself on the floor going, I, got, I don't know if I can get up off this floor. That's the emotion in this moment. You have these men, it says they walked 50 miles, they just fought battles, they just ran for their home. And in the middle of that adrenaline, all of a sudden that loss, they find themselves on the ground with no more power to weep. Have you been there? Some of you have, even recently. About things in your life, people in your life. So often, conversations I'm having, conversations you're having are about our cities, our neighbors, our families being taken captive Maybe not by an invading force, but maybe by depression or lust or hopelessness or anger or apathy. And it's stealing a generation. Dads, I want to challenge you today. God has called you to be the leader in your home. And God never has a Goliath. God never has an enemy force without raising up champions to challenge them. My friend, I don't see just dads with a minivan. I see champions today fighting for a generation. This is where we see it today. My friends, someone has to get upset by this. It says they had no more power to weep. Can I encourage you? Sometimes we get numb by the stuff we see. They, I forget the statistic of how many murders by the time you're 12 on TV you've seen, whether it be fictional, whether it be real or news or, or TV, but somewhere we get numb. Listen, I want to remind you, if you are a part of a family, if you are a part of this city, this church, someone needs to get upset by what's happening to our generation. When families are torn apart, it's like, oh, that's just too bad. When people are in apathy or indifference or lust or drugs or suicide or depression, someone needs to get upset about this. My friend, let it be a dangerous time when we get numb to the plights of others. When we see these prayer requests, may we be the church that prays like it's our own family. 
We pray for that job like it's our own job. Pray for that spouse like it's our own spouse. Why? Because someone needs to get upset about this. My friend, God made his body, soul, and spirit. There is emotions in this walk. Verse 6 is an interesting verse. I want to read verse 6 to you today. It says this. It says, David was now in great danger. He lost his wife and kids. His home was burned down. He was tired. But in the middle of this, it says he was in great danger because all the men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began the talk of stoning him. But David found strength in Lord his God. This is the verse that separates the men from the boys. This is the verse that separates followers from leaders. The men looked outward for blame. David looked upward for strength. I don't get time to park there today, but this is a difference. And men, I believe we are leaders in our homes. But so many times the men in this story look outward for blame. It's interesting. When things go bad, it's easier to point outward and go, who's to blame for this? Is this our schools? Is this our government? Is this taxation? Is this culture? Is this YouTube and, 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 and the internet? Is this uh, the church? It's easy to point outwards with blame, but it's interesting. David looked upwards for strength. It says David in the NIV says he encouraged himself in the Lord. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? David had lost. David was grieving. David was tired. And when the followers looked outward with blame, David looked upward for strength. Fathers, today I want to encourage you and challenge you today. Where do you go when you're down? Is it to a drink? Is it to a leisure activity? Sometimes it's easier just to check out and go, I just need to go golf or I need to go relax. I know for me, it's easier. I just need some downtime. I need some me time. I want to challenge you today that as leaders, and I believe fathers, as leaders in our homes, that we don't need to look outward with blame. We need to look upward for strength. That'll change the game right there. The difference between leaders and followers, between victims and victors. The difference between those that stay down and those that get up is where you find your source in that moment. Some of you are going through some moments today. Some of you have been through some moments today. The Bible says, Jesus says, I, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm as close as the mention of my name. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. You don't need a podcast, though we have one. You don't need to get to a service. You don't need someone to call you or text you. You don't need just to see somebody all the time. There's something to be said about someone that on their knees finds strength in themselves from their God. My friends, we're all in this together. We're by ourselves. And in those moments... I'm learning as a father, as a husband, as a leader, not to look outward with blame, but to look upwards for strength. And God is faithful to strengthen. In this story, we see David doing this. Never underestimate the power of taking ownership. We need men. We need fathers who know how to lead themselves in public, in private, before they lead others in public. Did you hear that today? Fathers, I want to challenge you today. Can we lead ourselves in private before we try to lead our families, our businesses, our churches, our communities in public? There's power in leading yourself in private. Someone needs to say amen right there. That'll help you. I'm still in this journey of learning this some days. To go, I need to lead myself in private before I can lead others in public. Learn to encourage yourself in your faith. See, David knew what us as dads today need to know, dads. It's this, is that failure is not fatal. Giving up is fatal. David was in a moment of failure, but failure is not fatal. Staying down, giving up is fatal, but being down is not. Failure is not fatal. You can vent or you can avenge. With our families, with our, with our influence, listen, you can vent or you can avenge, and there's a difference in that statement. 
You can vent all you want on social media and coffee shops, but someone says, listen, instead of venting, I'm going to avenge. I'm going to do something about this. Man, there's a difference today. We can learn from this. You can give in or you can get up. Dads, I want to challenge you. I want to just speak courage over you. You can get up today. If you walked in and said, I failed today. I failed today as a dad. I failed this month. Listen, you can give in or you can get up. Today's a great day to get up. Get up. You can complain, you can complain or you can combat. Man, there's fire spirits inside of you. Dads, there's a fighting spirit inside of you. And we can complain or we can combat. We can lay down or we can lead through. It's easy some days just to lay down and go, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just done. I'm checking out. Instead of laying down, we can lead through today. Verse 8, the key verse in this passage. I want to read it from the NIV if we can put that up there, Jeremy. Verse 8. David, in this moment, he's down, but he's not out. He's learning to strengthen himself in the Lord. Others are looking at stoning him. People want to always put the blame on the leadership in their life, their manager, their boss, their prime minister, their pastor, their, their whoever. In that moment, David, in the middle of his loss and his tiredness and his weakness, encouraged himself in the Lord. But then it says, David goes, all right, let's do something about this. And it says this, he says, and David inquired of the Lord. He asked the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? David's like, okay, God, do I go after them or is it done? Is this it? Is this it for me? Is this it for my legacy? Is this it for my family? What about their kids? Is this it? Can we do something about this? Shall I pursue? Will I overtake them? Will we catch up? And then God responds and says, pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Today, for the next few minutes, I just want to challenge you on this word, hot pursuit. See, this book was written in different languages, and this passage was written in Hebrew. Now, I'm not a scholar, and, and, you know, some people have more degrees than a thermometer and smarter people in this room than me. But I've learned this about the Hebrew language and English language. And some of you speak multiple languages in here, and you'll understand this to be true. But English is a very dull language. It's not very expression. Expressionable. Hebrew, I heard someone say it like this once. It's like English is like a black and white TV with three channels, which I grew up. Remember the pliers to change the channel? George, you remember what I'm talking about, when the thing would break, get the pliers out, and if you went by the channel, you had to keep going all the way around. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's, these were the good old days. But English is like a black and white TV with three channels, but the Hebrew, it's so expression, so much expression, so much vivid detail, that Hebrew words are actually like IMAX 3D with Dolby surround sound with the glasses on and everything. So let me unpack that word. What was David asking when he said, shall I pursue? Because I look at it, I picture Roscoe, uh, Roscoe the, 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 the deputy, the sheriff, going, shall I chase these guys? Should I just run after these guys? That's what pursue means to me. But the word here is actually this word, I don't got time to go into it, called rodoff. The word that David said, God, shall I rodoff the enemy? Shall I rodoff after my kids? Should I rodoff in this moment was the Hebrew word. It's more than just chase. I want to unpack the next few minutes what I think God is saying to us dads in this room real quick. Number one, it means loss of ground. That word mean wrought off, pursue means loss of ground. We as dads in many cases have lost ground. Did you know that? We have as a culture. We've lost influence with our kids. Our kids used to be where we left them when we got home. Remember that? You would leave and go to work. When you came home, your kids were there waiting for you to come in the driveway. And as you left them is the same way you found them. That's not the case anymore. Our kids have now traveled the world and spoke to anyone and anyone that they can listen through their iPad or their iPhone. 
They travel the world through YouTube and the internet. They are traveling the world. And listen, they are getting answers before. Wait till your father gets home. Ask your dad. You know what? Kids are no longer waiting for dad to get home to ask them. We've lost our influence. Somebody like, my kids don't ask any questions. If your kids aren't asking you questions, it's because they're getting answers somewhere else. My kids don't talk to me about sex. My kids don't talk to me about faith. My kids don't talk to me about relationships or they don't talk to me about stress or struggles. Listen, they're asking questions, just not to us. I have this line with my son, and I say to my son, I'm your Google. Because now it's like, well, I'll just Google. What does this mean? I'm like, Josh, I'm your Google. Come to me. Why? Many times we've lost our influence. We've lost ground. Today, you need to know we need strong, there's a strong need for fathers in the game more than ever before. We've lost ground. We've lost influence. We have culture and musicians and YouTube and people are influencing our kids. We've lost the influence on our kids and we have ground to make up. When he said, shall I pursue Rodolph, what he's saying is, I'm admitting that we are behind the enemy. They are ahead of us. We have lost ground. They are ahead of us. You can only chase something that's ahead of you. When he says, shall I pursue, what he's saying is, I acknowledge before we start, God, that we have lost ground. I think sometimes the attack on fatherhood in our culture, in our city, in our lives is drastic. It's a sore spot to talk about. It's something that that we struggle with. Listen, dads, I want to encourage you. We've never needed you more than we need you now. We've lost ground as a culture. That's why this church, we love everybody. And listen, thank God for the women that really carry this. And single moms are the heroes of our nation. But we need dads to step in and go, we've lost ground. And we got to lay down or we can lead through. We can give up or we can get up and say, listen, there's a challenge. We've lost ground. That's why I'm thankful for the men in this house and go, listen, I'll stand my ground. I'll stand my ground. And I'll fight for your kids and my kids. We've lost ground. I want to remind you today, we've never needed you more than we need you now. The second thing it means, rod off means, it's a military term. When David said to God, shall I pursue? He's saying, God, I want to get organized in this pursuit. Can I get the army together? Can I get the boys back together? Can we go fight? Can we get organized? It's a military term. It's to mean to be organized and to have a plan. To pursue, I want to remind you today, we must be connected and organized. One goal, one heart, one mind to pursue this generation. Make no mistake, Nova Church, we are passionate about this next generation. We're more than just into it. We are obsessed with our teenagers and our youth. That's why we have our best people in our kids' ministry serving their guts at why. Because we are passionate about the next generation. They are our legacy. They are our future. They are the hope. That's where we're putting our money, our time, our effort, our people. Why? Because we realize we need to be organized in this. Make no mistake about that. We need each other. What does that mean? Number one, men, you need to get organized with your family time. I need to get organized with my family time. Eat together. My wife is so good to make sure we eat together. Something about eating together. We say, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? What was the challenging part of your day? Tell me something funny that happened. How's this person going? Man, can I challenge you? You'll know if you're pursuing by on your phone, on the calendar, how often you're face-to-face with your family. Make it a per- This isn't a heavy. This is an encouragement. Let's get organized with our families. That's why I love seeing people do church as families. We make a place. There's always room for your kids. There's always room for your spouses. There's always room for your family. Why? Because we have to get organized to do this together. Family time. The second thing is with your faith. My faith and my life is, it has been been built around people that are organized in church. I remember dad, I think he's in the room today. My dad went to India on a missions trip when I was in like, I was like grade three or four, I think. I had this memory the other day. I remember my father coming home, and, 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 and he, back then we had slides. Anybody remember slides? 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. He had this projector, and you put these slides in. They're upside down, and you laugh. Yeah. Turn it right side up. And he had a white curtain or a bed sheet, and you put slides. And he went to India on a missions trip. I remember being there. I didn't know where India was. Oh, and it was a far, dad was gone for a long time, and all these men in the church were on this missions trip to help this Bible school and to help preach and to help kids and did all this stuff. And he came home telling his stories and brought me home some cool, uh, um, some trinkets and stuff, and then showed these slides, told me a story. They were on this platform one day, and people were upset about them preaching about Jesus and started throwing rocks and stoning them on the stage, and not the legal Justin Trudeau stoning that's happening in a couple of months, but I'm talking about the stoning where you throw rocks, and it's a different, you still with me? All right. And I'm seeing this picture of people throwing rocks. I'm like, Dad, probably put down your camera and run at that point, you know? And I remember sitting there as a kid watching this, this blanket with this slide and this poor quality and hearing these stories, and something started to take root in my life. A heart for the nations and for the world and for people and to see something bigger than my block. Why? Because my father was a part of an organized plan to pour into families and build faith. I think about the men in church that have influenced my life, Lyman Langell, who's here and one of our leaders of our church. I'll never forget being 19 and Lyman would give me employment and it was like child labor. Get me shoveling gravel for hours and give me like three bucks and an A&W's burger, but that was awesome and I just work, and he just talked to me about my life and about my past and my future and just pour into me. But I'll never forget one day, back then cell phones were the size of this, and he had a cell phone, and he called his wife Sue. And as he's talking, he won't even remember this. He's talking about picking up pizza on the way home. He's like, yeah, I'm bringing Mike with me. And I can hear that, good. And he's, he's, like, he's like, all right, babe, love you, babe. You good? Yeah, okay, babe. I remember thinking, I like that he called his wife babe. Now, not in a degrading term, not in a sexist term. It was this endearing term of affection. And it's funny, I've always, I've never heard my father call my mother babe. I think it would kind of freak me out a little bit, to be honest. But I learned so many good things from my father. But you know what's interesting? I call my wife babe because of Lyman Langell. Somewhere in that truck, I remember being 19 with desires to get married and thinking, how's this going to work? I remember seeing something in that moment going, that felt right. That felt loving and respectful and really warm, and I thought, I like that. There's another man here named Bill Murphy, and Bill won't remember this either, but we were at a men's retreat, talking about getting organized. And, you know, I'm not the biggest morning person. I'm around this campfire inside this cottage, and Bill gets up, morning, morning, morning. Everybody by name, good morning, Bill. Good morning, Lyman. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? <laughs> good morning. And Bill's walking around the room, good morning, 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 Mike, morning, 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 morning. And the room all of a sudden livened up and woke up. And I was like, what just happened in this room? We're all sitting there just tr trying to get warm and just trying to wake up. And Bill walks out. And I realized in that moment, you can change a room with a simple greeting. Do you know what I do spend my mornings doing in overture Sunday mornings? Walk around. Good morning, morning, morning. Good to see you. Thank you for helping. Good morning, morning. You know where I learned that from? Bill Murphy. True story. And his mustache. I'm thankful that my family was organized enough to realize if we're going to keep a generation and win a generation, we have to get organized. And a part of that is family time, but a part of that is faith time. I grew up in Spryfield, and my, we heard about a church starting in Sackville. And when I was a kid, and my mom and dad said, we're moving to be a part of that church. It wasn't close to schools that we wanted. It wasn't close to my dad's job. But my parents sacrificed much. And my mom said, I just need a house close enough so we can walk to church because we only have one car. 
And my mother said, listen, family's important, but so is faith. And because faith was important, it so built me and, and it so influenced me to be the man and the husband and the father and the process I am in. Faith was a part of that. Listen, if we're going to win our generation, keep our kids and our teenagers, if we're going to win in this battle, we have to get organized. It's not just when I feel it. Family time and faith time is vital components to getting organized in this army. The Bible calls it the army of God for a reason. We are organized and on mission. I want to encourage you today when he said, shall I pursue? He said, should I get a military organization ready? And God said, yeah, go ahead, get that ready. We're going to need that. We got to get organized. Last one, I'm almost done. What does it mean to pursue? That word, the last meaning it has, wrought off the last word means intent to kill. Doesn't sound like God, does it? Intent to kill. The intent was clear, not to negotiate. There was no deals. It wasn't devil. You get our families for most of the week, but we want to be together for Sunday dinner. It wasn't, listen, you, we can have cute kids, have great memories as kids, but we expect to lose them to you when they're teenagers. No deal. The intent was clear, not to negotiate, but to take back. The intent was not to negotiate, but to kill the enemy. Now, we're not fighting against people, but the intent was to be aggressive, going, we will take back our family. People say God's a loving God. He is a loving God, but he's as serious as a heart attack. Don't mistake his kindness for weakness. God is not weak. And God is passionate about families. He's passionate about our kids. He's passionate about our teenagers, our young adults. He's passionate dads about our marriages. Husbands about our marriages. Why? The intent is clear. We'll not negotiate. Well, we'll just stay together till the kids grow up. Stay the kids till the, and then, you know, then we'll, no, 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 no. The intent is clear. We will not negotiate. We will recover all. It's all our legacy and all our inheritance. No deal. All the key was David saying, shall I pursue? And this is what's amazing. In verse 8, you'll see it. God answers back with the exact same word. David says, shall I pursue? Meaning, I admit we've lost ground. But I think we got to get organized and get the boys back together and get some guys around to help me and fight this thing. And lastly, God, what I'm asking is when I show up, I'm not negotiating going, can we have all the younger kids keep the teenagers? Can we, you know, all the kids that need braces, they can keep. You know, we'll, we'll take the kids with straight teeth and it's cheaper that way for us. Or, you know, we, we, we expect some, but not all. God, if we go there, we're intending to wipe them out and take back everything. And listen to this, God answers with the same word. Our God that we serve and love goes, listen, Mike, Bill, David, Rodoff, pursue. You've lost ground. But you've got to get organized in your family and in your faith. You've got to get a plan. And when you get there, cut their heads off. Take back what's yours. Don't negotiate. Kill. What do you got to kill? You got to kill compromise today. When you get there, cut the head off compromise. Well, we'll just, you know, We'll just dabble in this a little bit at night when the kids go to bed or, you know, I can just watch this or I don't need to be there for that or, you know, it's okay. Kill compromise. Kill small dreams. Have big dreams for your kids. Not just, oh, I hope they make it to go to university and don't get pregnant. No, big dreams. Kill some small dreams. I'm raising prime ministers and premiers and pastors and business leaders and teachers and moms and dads. I have big dreams for my kids. I told my son, no pressure, you can do whatever you want as long as you change the world. That's the only pressure we have on him. Change the world. Whatever that looks like as a teacher, as a business person, as a minister, as a writer, 
Anything, just change the world. Big dreams, kill small dreams, kill disappointment. Some of you are living in disappointment. You're on your knees with no more power to weep. And you're going, well, what about them? And they're to blame. Kill disappointment, get up today. And say, shall I pursue? Kill disappointment in your life. Because it happened to you. Doesn't mean it needs to define you. Kill disappointment today. Kill regret, oh, I wasn't a good dad. Never had a good dad, wasn't a good dad. I'm not a good dad. Kill regret. It's yet to be written what our days will be like tomorrow. Write a new chapter. Kill regret. Kill self-pity. No one understands how much I've lost. They don't understand how hard this is. No, no, no. There's a generation waiting for us to get up off our knees. Say, God, I strengthen myself in you and shall I pursue and pursue them passionately with family time and church time and in prayer and believing. When you get there, you're not negotiating for our teens. My son will serve God. My daughter will serve God. And if he struggles and walks, a chapter's not a story. And I will keep praying and keep believing. In that moment, I will love him and I will not negotiate. I will not compromise. Why? Because I believe. It goes on, the Bible says, and God says, and when you get there, you will recover all. It's a promise today that if we seek God, if we admit we've lost ground, I want to let you know we've lost ground as a culture. But we're getting organized, the men, the fathers, the moms, the singles in this place, getting organized, not just to have church, but to reach a city. Get organized together around the kitchen table and around moments like this. And we say our, our intent is clear, is to win back, to help as many people as possible, to fight for those that can't fight for themselves, those that are taken in depression and lost and insecurity and apathy and, and in doubt and, and disbelief. And we're going to fight for them and we're going to not negotiate. Well, let's have a nice church on Sundays. No, 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 no. Our intent is to take back everything. And God says, if you do that, you will recover Today as we close, I want to pray for you as a church. All over this place, men and women, would you stand to your feet today? We're going to close today as time's gotten away from me. This prayer is for everyone, but I want to pray for the dads in this room. There's a, there's, a, there's a calling on your life, dads. You're not just there to pay the bills, wash the car, and tell dad jokes and wear socks and sandals. You're the leader. You may not have seen a great example of a father, but you can be one. Young person, if you're here going, my dad's not a good example. No, young man, but there's a day coming where you will be the man and be the dad. And I believe you can learn from the Bills and the Lymans. You can learn from the Anthonys and the Joels. You can learn from people. I had a great father, but he was smart enough to know I need some people to get organized around me to help raise my boys. I want to pray for you today. You say, Mike, I'm going to pray for my leadership. Men, women, fathers, mothers, singles. Slip both hands. Let me pray for you as we close today. Father, I thank you for this moment. God, there are great losses in this room. I look around, I see stories of marriages that are going through stuff. I see stories of pain when it comes to teenagers, even kids. I see some that want families, but right now it's a struggle to even start. Some have lost loved ones. Some are just in the monotony of nine to five and living. God, there are so many stories in this room. And Father, there has been weeping and there has been loss. But today, God, we don't stay on our knees in pity, but we look up in strength saying, God, would you be the strength? Would you lift our head, lift our hopes, lift our heart today? God, I speak strength into every family under the sound of my voice. I speak to every marriage. I speak to every parent. I speak to every single mom. I speak to every single dad. I speak to every father and mother. I speak strength today. 
from you, Lord. Our answer is not in a government or a pastor or a school, but in heaven itself. God, would you strengthen today? God, when we get organized today, Father, may family become a priority. God, would church become a priority? Not just to come together and check a box, but to get organized. And God, may our intent be clear today. Not just to have good homes. Not just to get through the teenage years. Not just to get enough to retire, but to recover all ours and our neighbors. To fight for our neighbors' kids and our kids and our marriages. Father, I bless them today with your spirit. I bless them with your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.